experimentation is fun. I'm always curious how I can improve my overall quality of life, how I sleep, how I perform in the ocean when I'm surfing, my muscle recovery, how much energy I have, how much mental clarity I have, uh, overall libido, body composition. And so in this podcast, I wanted to share a few things that I've been experimenting with recently, let you know how they're going and tell you all about them. So first thing I've been experimenting with is eating more heart in my diet. You guys know that I've eaten a lot of organs in the past. I still eat about half an ounce of liver. I don't think you need a ton of liver per day. Even a quarter of an ounce per liver is going to be valuable for you in your diet, whether you're getting it fresh or desiccated like we make at Heart and Soil Supplements. And if you don't want to eat a quarter of an ounce or a half an ounce of liver per day, you can eat a few ounces over the course of the week. But heart is an organ that I don't think gets enough attention. It's a really valuable organ. It's obviously this thing that pumps blood throughout our bodies, and it's a muscle, but it has different physiology and different nutrient contents than peripheral muscle meat. Most of what we eat as humans are things like ribeyes or chuck, which is rump. These are peripheral muscles, but heart is unique, and I added it back in my diet. I'm doing about, I would say, six ounces of heart per day, four to six ounces of heart per day, which is a little more than I was doing previously. What I've actually been doing is taking my home grinder. I have a hand crank grinder that I put in heart meat and I make ground heart and I will make heart burgers. And I'll make one small to medium sized heart burger and include that in my daily routine. Heart is delicious. I think the best way to eat it is as a burger. It has kind of a weird texture. It doesn't have the grains that a steak does. So I don't like it as much when I'm just eating a piece of heart, like a heart steak. And if I grind the heart and make a heart burger, I can get all of that good epicardial fat that I cut off otherwise. And all that epicardial fat on the heart is valuable for humans, containing things like stearic acid, fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin K2, vitamin E. I don't want to waste fat from the animal, so grinding it into a burger makes the most sense to me. Why do I eat heart? Heart is very high in riboflavin. Heart is actually one of the highest, perhaps the highest source of riboflavin. This is vitamin B2. It is a water-soluble vitamin that I think a lot of us could benefit from having more of in our diets. The RDA for riboflavin, vitamin B2, is around 1.3 milligrams per day, but it's actually pretty hard to get the RDA for riboflavin if you're not eating organs and animal foods. There's a small amount of riboflavin in plant foods, but not that much. In fact, it's very, very hard to get the recommended daily allowance of riboflavin from plant foods. Things like milk have a good amount of riboflavin, especially raw goat milk, which is mostly what I drink these days, and heart. Meat has a little bit of riboflavin, but unless you're eating three pounds of meat or two pounds of meat, you're not really gonna get an optimal amount of riboflavin in my opinion, I'll tell you why. So I have an MTHFR polymorphism. I've spoken about this in the past. This is the methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase gene, also known as the motherfucker gene. Um, and Gary Breckis talked about it a lot recently. It's a key choke point in the methylation cycle. I'll talk more about methylation later in this podcast because I've been tinkering with supplements for methylation. Suffice it to say that this methylation gene, MTHFR, is the gatekeeper between two forms of folate. The produced form of folate is essential for optimal metabolism of homocysteine and methionine and moving things down the overall methylation cascade in your body. What we find looking at the research is that if you get, in this study, 1.6 milligrams of riboflavin per day, it can essentially improve the function of your MTHFR gene if you have an MTHFR polymorphism like I do, which is homozygous 677C to T, meaning I have a very slow MTHFR gene. 20 to 30% of the population has this. So for me, 
And for many of you listening, getting more riboflavin than the RDA, perhaps significantly more, can improve your MTHFR function. That's the main reason I started including more heart in my diet, because I'm always looking for ways to get nutrients from foods, because foods are so much more complex than supplements. I do supplement with some things, which I'm going to talk about in this video as well, but not much these days. And so if you look at the diversity of compounds in foods, it is orders of magnitude above what you're getting in your multivitamin, what you're getting in supplements. There's a interesting database called foodb.ca. It's a Canadian database, I guess. And it looks at the biodiversity of compounds in food. Beef has 42,000 components. Garlic, 4,000 components. A conventional multivitamin may have 30 to 40 things in it. So the idea that we can use a multivitamin to replace the diversity of compounds in food which are affecting us in myriad ways is just laughable. There's no way that we can really appreciate the complexity of meat or the complexity of liver or the complexity of heart or the complexity of plant foods by taking a multivitamin. Eating real food is king. Now, as I'll talk about later, as I mentioned, there are some things maybe some of us can benefit from supplementing, whether it's certain forms of folate or other things, but I think in general, food is so much more complex than we have given it credit for, and there are many, many undiscovered compounds in food that are beneficial for us that we are only beginning to scratch the surface of. So that's my digression rant about the benefits of real food versus multivitamins. Much more complex than multivitamins. So don't fool yourself into thinking that you can eat Pop-Tarts and Mountain Dew and get everything you need by taking a multivitamin on the side. I don't think there's many people listening to this podcast who eat Pop-Tarts and Mountain Dew, but if you do, welcome to the podcast. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. So back to heart and methylation. This is the study I mentioned regarding MTHFR polymorphisms and lowering homocysteine levels, which is an indication that MTHFR is working better uh, with increased doses of riboflavin. Again, the people in the TT group, that's the 677C to T polymorphism, probably not all of you listening to this have that, but many of you may, and you can find out your single nucleotide polymorphisms by doing some sort of genetic testing. It's very powerful for navigating your life. Um, those people benefit by getting more riboflavin in their diets, either from supplementation or from foods. I, like I said, I would rather get it from food. Heart is also a rich source of something called coenzyme Q10, part of the mitochondrial electron transport chain. If you're eating beef, you're getting a lot of coenzyme Q10, but there's even more of it in heart. Taurine is another substance that's been talked about recently from a longevity perspective. Heart is an incredibly rich source of taurine, richer than muscle meat. So in general, heart is just a powerhouse like just like liver is a powerhouse, heart is a nutritional powerhouse. And if you're getting two organs in your diet, I think getting liver and heart are the two to get. You don't have to eat six to sometimes more ounces of heart per day, but even getting a few ounces of heart per day in your diet is going to improve your overall health. In my own life, I'm very fascinated by changing things. In my own life, I'm very fascinated by dietary changes, supplement changes that I can feel for the positive or sometimes for the negative, in which case I eliminate them. But when I eat six ounces of heart per day, I have more energy. That's just my experience, my anecdotal experience, but there's something going on there. I feel better when I eat heart. I actually like heart burgers more than ground beef burgers. So the overarching idea here is nutrients in real foods like organs are so much more abundant than they are in synthetic multivitamins. Orders of magnitude higher. You can look at the database I mentioned, foodb.ca put in any food and see how many compounds are in there. It's enormous in real food. So again, multivitamins are overrated in my opinion, often containing synthetic forms of nutrients that 
are not bioidentical, either requiring conversion to certain forms in the human body. Sometimes the forms in multivitamins are actually toxic or problematic for humans. I'll talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast as well. So in my opinion, get rid of your multivitamin, eat real food and make it organs because organs are the most nutrient rich foods on the planet. That's really not easy to debate. Um, include meat in there as well. And you guys listening to this are probably familiar with my concept of an animal-based diet, including fruit, organs, meat, raw honey, raw dairy, all that kind of stuff, good cheese, et cetera. So one of the things that I'm super excited to tell you guys about right now is a new company that has just launched when this podcast came out. You guys know about Hardened Soil, where we make the finest grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively raised, desiccated organs and put them into capsules. But I wanted to make a food for you and for me and for my family. So welcome to Lineage. This is an incredible company that I've just begun with my buddy, Anthony Gustin. I went to Australia earlier this year to see some of the farms that we source the meat and organs from. And our first product is meat sticks. These are regeneratively raised, grass-fed, grass-finished meat sticks, the highest quality meat on the planet. And that is not hyperbole with liver and heart. There's not another meat stick on the planet that is as pure, as clean as our meat sticks. I know that because it took over a year, more like a year and a half, almost two years to build these and bring them to market. And they contain heart and liver. There's definitely no meat sticks, no snacks on the market that contain organs. And so I'm super proud of what we've done with Lineage. I will put some footage on the screen if you're watching on YouTube of some of these farms I visited in Australia. These farms are so green, the cows are so happy. Australia and New Zealand are light years ahead. Well, maybe not light years, but at least 30 years ahead of the United States in terms of agriculture. The meat and organs coming from there are the finest. The processing is the cleanest I've ever seen. So I'm so proud of what we put into these sticks and I hope you guys will check us out at lineageprovisions.com. There's all kinds of other good stuff coming from Lineage. Stay tuned. You can follow us on all the socials, Lineage Provisions, if you want to see what we're working on. But Lineage with my buddy, Anthony Gustin, who I went to Tanzania with to see the Hadza is going to be a food company to bring you all sorts of food products that are easy to incorporate in your lives to get more nutrition. And we're only going to be sourcing the highest quality foods we can. Believe me, that is a promise I make to you and stay tuned. There's all kinds of cool stuff coming, but our first product, and we're super proud of this, are our regeneratively raised meat sticks with liver and heart. So like I mentioned, getting liver in your diet is great. Getting heart in your diet is great whatever works for you, but I know a lot of you lead busy lives and I hope that meat sticks will be helpful for you. As always, I think the best thing is to eat steak, to eat heart burgers, to eat liver that you make yourself. But if desiccated organ capsules from heart and soil are helpful for you and your family, or if the lineage meat sticks are helpful in a bind when you're running around, then I am so proud of what we're doing with these companies. And I'm excited to hear what you guys think of the meat sticks. Let us know. So second thing I've been doing recently is a supplement. I don't usually take supplements, but I was looking at the amount of meat that I'm eating these days, and it's not as much as I used to. I still eat about a pound, maybe a pound and a half of meat per day, but I've included more carbohydrates in my diet recently from orange juice, from other fruit juices. I juiced some cantaloupe, some watermelon today. I have a lot of honey in my raw milk, which I get here in Costa Rica at the farmer's market, and I'm doing more carbohydrates, a moderate amount of fat, and a little bit less protein these days, just kind of experimenting with it. I'm still getting around one gram of protein per pound of body weight, but more of that protein is coming from milk and less of it is coming from meat. So I was thinking maybe I should try and supplement with creatine. When I dove back into the research with creatine, it's just incredibly overwhelming in a good way how beneficial this substance is for humans. If you don't know about creatine, it's made in the human body from arginine and glycine and then methylated with something called SAMe. I will return to talking about SAMe later in this podcast, but 
we don't make enough of it to be optimal. Even those of us who are omnivores can benefit from creatine supplementation unless we are getting probably upwards of two pounds of meat per day for men or one and a half plus pounds of meat per day for women. These studies consistently show benefits in terms of cognition, even in people who are not aging or have cognitive decline, but certainly in people who have cognitive decline, creatine is beneficial for muscle recovery, for exercise performance. There's about a 10 to 20% benefit in terms of exercise performance for intense exercise. In terms of memory tasks, card sorting, all sorts of things like this, five to 15% benefit with creatine supplementation. The biggest benefits from creatine supplementation are definitely seen in vegans and vegetarians who are probably getting around zero grams of creatine per day. And that I think is a striking statistic in and of itself. It is not a dishonest statement to say that creatine supplementation makes vegans and vegetarians smarter. Choose your longevity, vegan or vegetarian of choice these days, and they are almost certainly taking creatine a nod to the animal kingdom, they probably should just be eating meat and they would be getting all of the other things they're also taking among their 100 plus pills, depending who you're looking at, um, many of which are from animal foods. But I've started adding around five grams of creatine to my diet per day, and I notice benefits in terms of mental clarity and exercise performance while I'm surfing. Interestingly, I'm probably getting around two grams of creatine a day from my food, maybe two and a half. The body does make some creatine, but it's only about half of what we need to be optimal. So if someone tells you that you can make all the creatine you need, that's really clearly not been shown in studies, no matter what you're eating. Most of us can benefit from supplementation with creatine, but you can get enough from your diet if you are a hyper carnivore. So many of the people in the carnivore community will rejoice when they're eating pounds of meat per day and tell me I'm not eating enough meat and that I should return to being a strict carnivore. But fact of the matter is I feel better eating more carbohydrates and diversifying my diet and a little bit of creatine supplementation is pretty easy for me. Like I said, I noticed benefits in terms of mental clarity, mental performance, memory, recall, mental sharpness, and exercise performance with surfing, which is mostly paddling. I will skateboard sometimes. I'll do moderate amounts of body weight lifting and occasional lifting of weights. And I notice benefits in all of those areas. Creatine is incredibly cheap. There's really no downsides. Doses of up to 20 to 30 grams per day have been studied for five years in humans or more. That's an incredible statistic to have five years of study of people taking that much creatine with no downsides. There is something to note if you're going to take creatine though, which is that when you go to your doctor, your creatinine, which is a breakdown product of creatine in the muscles, will be elevated or may be elevated above what you've seen in the past. This doesn't mean that your kidneys are failing, though elevated creatinine can in some individuals be linked to kidney issues. If you are supplementing with creatine or eating a lot of meat, the chances that this is related to your kidneys are very low. The chances it's related to more production of creatinine from creatine breakdown in your muscles are much higher. And creatinine itself is not harmful to the human body. We use it in medicine only as a metric of the function of the kidneys. Again, it's not harmful to you. So if you're going to a doctor and getting your blood work, most notably a comprehensive metabolic panel, you'll want to get something called a cystatin C, which is not affected by the amount of meat you're eating, and will give you a good secondary indication of your kidney function. Harkening back to some of the things I talked about earlier, I think that everyone should be getting a fasting insulin on their blood work and a homocysteine. One of the ways that I could tell that my methylation cycle, my folate cycle were not working as efficiently as I would like was my homocysteine ranged anywhere from 10, 11 to 12. It's much higher than I want to see it. I think optimal homocysteine levels are probably below eight for most people. You can push your homocysteine too low, but I think that around eight, seven to eight is probably optimal. So when I do these things, when I supplement with creatine, when I think about riboflavin from heart 
And when I am getting enough folate in my diet, predominantly in my case from fruit, um, orange juice, passion fruit, watermelon, that's the main source of folate that I'm getting, also from liver and egg yolks, then my homocysteine will be in that range. If I slack on those things, I don't get as many organs, I don't get as much creatine in my diet, then I see my homocysteine go a little bit higher and I don't want that to be the case. So I'm trying to optimize there as well. It's also important to mention that around 50%, 5-0% of the SAMe, the S-adenosylmethionine generated from the methylation cycle goes to making creatine in your body. So taking a small amount of creatine per day may benefit you in terms of easing the body's work to methylate. A lot of methylation efforts also go to making choline, a nutrient that can be found in animal foods predominantly. So if you're eating a lot of meat or doing a moderate amount of supplementation of creatine and doing some choline from egg yolks or liver or meat, you're going to optimize your methylation just fine with your diet, but checking homocysteine doesn't hurt. And seeing how you feel overall is a good indicator of how well all of that is working. The majority of your creatine is stored in your muscles, though heart, brain, and testicles also have significant amounts of creatine. Vegetarian muscles are about 20 to 30% lower in creatine than omnivore muscles, an indication, like I mentioned, that they can use more creatine. Again, I tweeted something today that given the massive amount of research on the benefits of creatine, I don't know how anyone can make any argument that a plant-based diet is better for human health. But regardless, plant-based advocates continue to try making all sorts of propagandized Netflix documentaries that are misleading more and more people and leading to all sorts of deficiencies in the human population. But it's okay. Vegan and vegetarian diets are something that I respect. They're intentional choices with regard to diet. And I know that many of those people will come back to eating meat and eventually find good health. In fact, a striking statistic to consider is that the vast majority of people who go vegan return to eating meat within four years. And the majority of those people cite health problems as the main reason to returning to eat meat. So I think that making intentional choices with regard to your diet is an incredible thing you can do with regard to your health, even if that's vegan or vegetarian. I'm just glad that those people are thinking about food and there's enough good content out there to get them back to health with eating meat eventually. So I'm sure there's a lot of recovering vegans and vegetarians even listening to this right now. In terms of protocols for creatine supplementation, I think the literature supports a couple of different things. If you want to quickly saturate your muscles in your body with creatine for optimal performance across multiple areas of function, a protocol that is widely discussed is five grams of creatine four times a day for five to seven days. You can also do three to five grams of creatine for about 30 days to saturate your body with creatine in the stores. Now, that will cost you pennies per day. <laughs> So I think it's worth it for most people. There's lots of good brands out there that have certificates of analysis showing that they are pretty darn clean sources. So creatine is interesting. It's something I've been experimenting with. Like I said, I don't usually do supplementation, but when I'm tweaking the amount of protein in my diet from the meat and using other sources for other benefits, uh, adding a little bit of creatine back in seems to be a beneficial thing. And uh, I think most vegans and vegetarians need to do that as well, or they can just go back to eating meat also. Or they could eat some lineage meat sticks, which they'd probably feel really good on. The next thing I want to tell you about is an experiment that basically failed for me, but may not fail for you. I am very curious about getting carbohydrates in my diet. I've done many podcasts on the benefits of carbohydrates in my diet. I've talked at length about how for me, and I think for a lot of people, including carbohydrates in their diet, whether it's a carnivore diet or an animal-based diet, whatever diet it is, is a beneficial thing. Obviously, the source of those carbohydrates is very important. So I'm pretty active. I don't think everybody needs as many carbohydrates as I eat, but I think that for most people, 150, 125 grams of carbohydrates a day is 
essential for optimal health. There's just so much literature that there are negative hormonal consequences to eating less carbohydrates than that, including thyroid, sex hormones, et cetera. I've spoken about that at length elsewhere. So I have tried to reincorporate white rice into my diet. And believe me, I wanted to make this work. Basmati, short grain, long grain, risotto rice, all kinds of things. And I would take that rice, rinse it five to 10 times in the sink with good quality water to get all the rice dust off. I would then soak it overnight in apple cider vinegar at warm temperatures here in Costa Rica. I would then pressure cook it for 30 to 45 minutes and it tasted great, but consistently I found that when I would do this, I just got brain fog and didn't feel great. So I've done this experiment at least three or four times now trying to experiment with different sources of carbohydrates in my diet. And consistently for me, I come back to feeling like carbohydrates from fruit, whether it's fruit juice or honey, and milk. These are the best sources of carbohydrates that work for me. Maybe you will be able to eat rice or potatoes. I've also experimented with white potatoes in my diet. Yes, they contain oxalates and they contain lectins as do rice, at least as far as the lectins go. But I skin the potatoes. I then boil them. I pressure cook them. And again, the potatoes just don't make me feel great. I feel like they make me less hungry than I would like to be. It's difficult to get enough calories to feel sustained. I don't feel great with white potatoes either. And sometimes when I'm eating white potatoes, I get a little bit of eczema recurring on my hands. So lest anyone say that I'm super dogmatic, I've certainly tried to reincorporate some foods into my diet, foods that maybe I've even spoken about in the past, having defense chemicals, doing everything I can to detoxify those defense chemicals. And none of it has really worked for me in terms of white rice or potatoes. If you're not familiar with the nuance around white versus brown rice, brown rice is quite high in heavy metals and not something that humans want to be eating. The removal of the hull of the brown rice leading to white rice removes a lot of the heavy metals, but still leaves some, which is why I soak the white rice in uh, the vinegar. Some people have even suggested parboiling. I've tried parboiling the rice as well, and all of those things continue to give me some sort of a reaction. So if you're concerned about fructose from fruit or honey, please listen to the other podcasts I've done on that. I did a recent one with Mike Fave, who's great. Um, looking at Robert Lustig's recent podcast on Andrew Huberman, we broke down many of the common concerns about fructose and shared solid science as to why those things are not a concern. I will tell you consistently that when I do my blood work, and I'm actually going to Los Angeles very soon to do more blood work, um, there is no downside to having fructose in your diet from natural sources. There are so many studies showing benefits to fruit juice, whether it's decreased oxidation of LDL, improved endothelial function, all sorts of benefits. It's very hard to make a case that fruit and fruit juice are harmful for humans. If you've followed my journey, many of you know that on a strict ketogenic meat, organs, fat, salt diet, uh, after about a year and a half, I began to experience muscle cramps, coldness, declining sex hormones, all kinds of problems. So for me and for a lot of other people, including carbohydrates in their diet, is a significant health improvement. There's really no solid evidence that carbohydrates cause diabetes. It's a massive misinterpretation of the data and a misunderstanding of what actually is underlying insulin resistance, which is complex, but probably begins at the level of the mitochondrial membrane and a variety of things contributing to that, including polyunsaturated fatty acids from seed oils, lipopolysaccharide from bacteria in our guts with gut inflammation. Regardless, diabetes is not caused by carbohydrates. I don't think you need to fear them in your diets. One question I always get is from people who are diabetic. Can I include fruit and honey? And the answer is absolutely yes. Do you need three to 400 grams of carbohydrates like I get? Absolutely not. Maybe you're not as active as I am, but the point remains, carbohydrates do not cause insulin resistance. Your body doesn't handle carbohydrates as well if you are diabetic or metabolically unwell. So eating carbohydrates on the low end is probably advised, but 
getting carbohydrates will mitigate the increases in negative stress hormones, cortisol, glucagon, catecholamines that happen when you go keto. There are also many other benefits to having carbohydrates in your metabolism that I've enumerated multiple times in the past, including lower levels of advanced glycation end products like methylglyoxal, which are increased 1.6 to 2.2 times in people who do ketogenic diets. So regardless, I was trying to get more carbohydrates from other sources, rice, potatoes, neither of those work for me. See if they work for you and find a carbohydrate source that helps you feel as good as you can. Do not fear fructose. So much good evidence that fruit and honey and fruit juice are beneficial for humans. As I mentioned, I've done a podcast with Mike Fave recently debunking many of the misquoted, misinterpreted scientific findings on the recent podcast with Huberman and Robert Lustig. would love to have Lustig on the podcast for a respectful discussion slash debate on fructose at some time in the future. The last thing I've been experimenting with were actually supplements for methylation. One supplement that a lot of people end up taking is L5-methylfolate or methylated B vitamins. And when we say methylated B vitamins, we generally mean a methyl form of cobalamin, which is B12, relative to cyanocobalamin, which is in most multivitamins, not a great form of vitamin B12 to be eating because it contains a cyanide moiety. So you don't need more cyanide in your body. That is a mitochondrial toxin. Mitochondrial issues underlie the majority of chronic diseases in humans. So do not take cyanocobalamin. If you want to take a B12 supplement, a methyl adenosyl or hydroxyl form is probably best. There's some nuance there depending on other genetic polymorphisms. I'm going to have Gary Brecka on the podcast soon, and we can dive into all of that with regard to catecholamine, O-methyltransferase, et cetera, in the polymorphism spectrum. But methylated B vitamins are great for some people. Some people like myself are quite sensitive to them. When I take too much methylfolate, I don't feel great. I get a little angry. I get irritable. I've experimented with other forms of folate, folinic acid being another one, which is before the MTHFR step. And too much of that doesn't make me feel great either. So Folate supplements can be tricky for people when they are methylated folate, and some people can be sensitive to them in terms of psychological symptoms. Do not take folic acid. I repeat, do not take folic acid. Though folic acid probably has prevented neural tube defects in humans, I think that most humans just need to get their folate from foods. Folic acid is not a form of folate that occurs in nature and requires the actions of an enzyme called dihydrofolate reductase to turn it into dihydrofolate. According to the research, dihydrofolate appears to get saturated around 225 micrograms, which means that any extra folic acid that you're taking above 225 micrograms is just floating around your body, potentially causing other negative side effects, blocking folate receptors, et cetera. Not a good thing. You don't want folic acid in your food. You don't want folic acid in your multivitamins. So if you have polymorphisms of the methylation cascades and the folate cycle, you could consider eating more heart. You could consider getting a methylated B vitamin, but know that there are complex interactions with these and simply taking methylfolate is not the panacea for all people. Some people get really significant side effects from this that are psychological. doesn't mean you're broken, it just means that it's a very powerful supplement in your biochemistry, and it takes some tweaking to really figure out what works best for you. I have found for me that I feel best when I supplement with creatine, which eases the demand on the methylation cycle, and I get enough riboflavin. As I mentioned earlier, if you're getting enough riboflavin, probably two plus milligrams a day is adequate for most people, and you're only gonna get that from heart and liver, in the food kingdom or a direct riboflavin supplement, the MTHFR enzyme works like normal, even with polymorphisms, including the 677C to T polymorphism. So for me, it doesn't seem like supplementing with methylfolate or folinic acid is necessary. 
Some people can do okay with methylated B vitamins, and in that case, they're probably beneficial for most humans. Remember that methylated forms of the B vitamins occur in food, they occur in fruit, they occur in vegetables, they occur in animal foods like eggs, like liver, and like heart. So you can get active, usable forms of B vitamins in animal and plant foods. As I've spoken about in the past, some plant foods that are high in folate may have other things that can be problematic for some people like oxalates, isothiocyanates, et cetera. And as I'll talk about more in the future, especially on my short form social media, it's interesting to note that leaves of vegetables, things like kale, spinach, even lettuce, concentrate heavy metals. So uh, again, another reason that I'm not a huge fan of vegetable parts of plants. So for me, supplementing with methylated forms of folate wasn't quite the way to do it, but I have had to give some attention to my biology and that is very individual. So those are the four things I've been kind of experimenting with recently. Eating more heart, which has been a great thing in my life, and I do more of that. I'm excited that I now have Lineage Meat Sticks. I hope you guys check us out at Lineage Provisions. And in case you're wondering, one pack of Lineage Meat Sticks contains 64 grams of protein. That's all real protein from liver and heart and meat. Uh, very few meat sticks are that much protein because we air dry these. They're actually much higher quality than any other meat stick I've seen on the market now. I'm super proud of these. Check us out at lineageprovisions.com. They're grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively raised. I stood at the farm. It's so beautiful there. I think you guys are going to love these. Let us know. Because if you don't love them, we want to improve them. But I think you're going to love them. Um, so I've been including more heart. I got my lineage meat sticks now because I got my own personal supply. That's what's the benefit of actually building a company is you build something that you like, that you would feed your family to my standards, and now I will eat them. But there's not a lot of other meat sticks on the market that I will eat. I've been adding creatine supplementation to my diet as I am decreasing my meat a little bit and including more carbohydrates and experimenting with that, trying to see what helps me feel the best. I've also had failed experiments with rice and potatoes and found that I maybe don't do the best with methylated B vitamins. Some people are more sensitive. So those are my current experimentations. I'm heading to Los Angeles to continue filming my documentary. In the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna be getting more blood work. So I will review my most recent set of blood work, which will be extensive with all of you guys on the podcast. And I hope this has been beneficial. My advice to all of you is stay curious, keep experimenting, and don't get stuck in dogma. Figure out what works for you. The information is out there. I only hope that this is a small part of that and adds value to your lives. See you guys later.